Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. Chapter 8. Burkett notes, This chapter is called by St. Ambrose, Scriptura Miraculosa, the miraculous scripture, there being several great miracles recorded in this chapter, as the cleansing of the leper, the curing of the centurion's servant, the appeasing of the winds, etc., Our Savior, having delivered his doctrine in the former chapters, in this he backs his doctrine with miracle for the establishment and confirmation of it. Verses 1 through 4. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou can make me clean. And Jesus put forward his hand and touched him, saying, I will, be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus saith unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Burkett notes, Note here in general that the Jews paid civil adoration to their kings and to their prophets. Thus Saul stooped with his face to the ground to Samuel, Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face before Daniel, and Obadiah, before Elijah, from whence we may gather that the adoration given to Christ by them that knew nothing of his divinity were paid to him as a prophet sent from God. Only next, several particulars are here observable. As one, the petitioner, and that is the leper, he came and worshipped Christ and petitioned him to heal him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou can make me clean, where he discovers a firm belief of Christ's power but a diffidence and distrust of Christ's will to heal him. Learn, Christ's divine powers must be fully assented to and be firmly believed by all those that expect benefit by him and healing from him. Observe, too, how readily our Savior grants his petition. Jesus touched him, saying, I will, be thou clean. Our Savior, by touching the leper, showed himself to be above the law as God, though subject to the law as man. For by the ceremonial law the leper was forbidden to be touched. Yet it was a received rule among the Jews that a prophet might vary from the punctilios of the ceremonial law or change a ritual law. So did Elijah stretch himself on the dead child and Elisa on the Shumanite's son, notwithstanding the prohibition of coming near the dead. But Christ's curing the leper by the word of his mouth and the touch of his hand, showed his divine power and proved himself to be truly and really sent of God, leprosy being called by the Jews the finger of God, a disease of his sending and of his removing. Our Savior, therefore, as proof of his being the Messiah, tells the disciples of John that the lepers were cleansed, Matthew 9, 5, and the dead raised which being put together intimates that the cleansing of the leper is as peculiar an act of divine power as the raising of the dead. And accordingly, 2 Kings 5.7 said the king, Am I God, that this man sends me to cure a man of his leprosy? Observe 3. The certainty and suddenness of the cure. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Christ not only cured him without means, but without the ordinary time required for such a cure. Thus Christ showed both power and will to cure him miraculously, who believed his power, but questioned his willingness. Observe 4. 
the charge and command given by Christ after the cure. 1. To tell no man, wherein the modesty, humility, and piety of Christ is discovered, together with the care of his own safety. His modesty in not desiring his good deeds should be proclaimed, his humility in shunning vainglorious applause and commendation, his piety in desiring all the praise, honor, and glory should be redounded entirely to God, and his care of his own safety, lest the publishing of this miracle should create him untimely danger from the Pharisees. Christians, behold your pattern to do much good and make but little noise. Christ affected no popular air. He did not spoil a good work by vain ostentation. When we work hard for God, we take great care that pride does not blow either it or us. Oh, how difficult it is to do much service and not value ourselves too much for the services which we do. The second part of the charge which Christ gave the recovered leper was to show himself to the priest and offer the gift which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. That is, as a testimony to the Jews that he was the Messiah and that he did not oppose the ceremonial law given by Moses. Where note that our Savior would have the ceremonial law punctually observed so long as the time for its continuance did endure. Though he came to destroy that law, yet whilst it stood, he would have it observed. Here, Dr. Lightfoot observes that though the priesthood was much degenerated from its primitive institution by human invention, yet Christ sends the leper to submit to it, because, though they did corrupt, yet they did not extinguish the divine institution. Verses 5 through 10. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion, beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou should come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled. And he said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Burkett notes, The second miracle our Savior works in this chapter is the healing of the centurion's servant, where, observe one, the person that applies to our Savior for help and healing, he was a Gentile, a heathen, a Roman soldier, an officer and commander, yet he believes in and relies upon the power of Christ. Note that such is the fierceness of divine grace that it extends itself to all sorts and ranks, to all orders and degrees of men, without exception. Even the bloody trade of war yields worthy clients to Christ. He had not so much regard who we are and whence we are as what we are and with what dispositions and inclinations we come unto him. Observe, too, the person whom the centurion comes to Christ for, not for himself, not for his son, but for his servant. His servant is sick. He doth not drive him out of doors, nor stand gazing by his bedside, but looks out for relief for him, a worthy example. Some masters have not so much regard to their sick servants as they have to their oxen or their swine. But he is not worthy of a good servant that in a time of sickness is not willing to serve his servant. A conceit of superiority must beget in no man a neglect of charitable offices towards inferiors. Observe 3. Unto whom the centurion seeks, 
and with what zeal and application. He seeks not to wizards and conjurers, but to the physician or his poor servant, yea, to Christ, the best physician. And thus not with a formal relation in his mouth, but with a vehement aggravation of the disease. My servant is grievously tormented. Where the master's condolency and tender sympathy with his afflicted servant is both matter of commendation and imitation also. Observe 4. The happy mixture of humility and faith which was found in this centurion. He owns his unworthiness of having Christ come under his roof, yet he acknowledged Christ's power, that by speaking of a word his servant might be healed by him. Humility is both the fruit of faith and the companion of faith. A humble soul has a high esteem of Christ and a low esteem of himself. Observe 5. How our blessed Savior seeks both his desires and his expectations. Christ says, Not only will I heal him, but I will come and heal him. Wonderful condescension. In St. John chapter 4, 47, we read of a certain nobleman and ruler that twice entreated our Savior to come to his house and heal his son, but our Lord refused and did not stir a foot. Here, the centurion doth barely tell Christ of his poor servant's sickness, and Christ, both unasked and undesired, says, I will come and heal him. Oh, how far was Christ from seeming in the least to honor riches and despise poverty. He that came in the form of a servant goes down and visits his sick servant upon his poor pallet bed that would not visit the rich couch of the ruler's son. How we should stoop to the lowest offices of love and kindness to one another when Christ thus condescendingly abased himself before us. Observe 6. The notice and observations which our Savior takes of the centurion's faith. He wondered at it from him. Who had wrought it in him? Christ wrought this faith as God and wondered at it as man. What can be more wonderful than to see Christ wonder? We do not find our Savior wondering at worldly pomp and greatness. When the disciples wondered at the magnificence of the temple, Christ rather rebuked them than wondered with them. But when he sees the gracious acts of faith, he is ravished with wonder. Let it teach us to place our admiration where Christ fixes his. Let us be more affected with the least measure of grace in a good man than with all the gaiety and glory of a great man. Let us not envy the one, but admire the other. Verses 11 through 13. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into the outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Burkett notes, This was the first occasion that Christ took to speak of the calling of the Gentiles and the rejection of the Jews. Observe here that the unbelieving Jews were called the children of the kingdom, because born within the pale of the visible church, they presumed that the kingdom of heaven was entailed upon them, because they were Abraham's seed. They boasted of and gloried in their external and outward privilege. Note thence, one, that gospel ordinances and church privileges enjoyed are a special honor to the people admitted to the participation of them. Our Savior here styles the Jews upon that account, the children of the kingdom. Two, that such privileges enjoyed but not improved do provoke Almighty God to inflict the heaviest of judgments upon a people. The children of the kingdom 
shall be cast into outer darkness, that is, into the darkness of hell, where shall be perpetual lamentation for the remembrance of the gospel, kindly offered but unthankfully rejected. Verses 14 and 15. And when Jesus was come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever, and he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto them. Burkett notes. The next miracle which our Savior wrought was in curing Peter's wife's mother of a fever. The miracle was not in curing an incurable distemper, but in the way and manner of curing. For one, it was by a touch of our Savior's hand. Two, it was instantaneous and sudden. Immediately the fever left her. Three, the visible effect of her recovery presently appeared. She instantly rose and ministered unto them. That she could rise argued her cure miraculous. That she could and did arise and administer unto Christ argued her thankfulness and a great sense of his goodness upon her mind. Note one, that marriage in the ministers of the gospel, yea, even in the apostles themselves, and in Peter, the chiefest of them, was neither censured nor condemned by our Savior. St. Peter had a wife and family, which Christ condescended to visit. Observe, too, that the first thing which Christ takes notice of in the house which he condescends to visit is what aileth any of it, and what need they stand in of his help and healing. And accordingly, together with his presence, he affords them relief. Learn three, when Christ has graciously visited and healed any of his servants, it ought to be their first work and their next care to administer unto Christ, that is, to employ their recovered health and improve their renewed strength in his service. She arose and ministered. Verses 16 and 17. When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast the spirit out with his words, and he healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of by Elias the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Burkett notes, It was very common about the time of our Savior's coming in the flesh for the devil bodily to possess persons and very grievously to torment them. This is one of the sad and dismal evils which sin has been made us liable and obnoxious to, to be bodily possessed by Satan. When we give Satan the power of our hearts, it's a just and righteous thing with God to give him the possession of our bodies. But who is the person that dispossesses Satan? Christ Jesus. Tis a stronger than the strong man that must cast out Satan. Our Jesus, in whom we trust, by his powerful word alone, can deliver from Satan's power and all the sad effects and consequences thereof. But observe with what condolency and sympathizing pity he exercises these acts of mercy and compassion towards poor creatures. He is said to take our infirmities upon himself and to bear our sicknesses. He bear the guilt which was caused of these griefs and sorrows. He bears the sorrows themselves by a tender sympathy with us under the burden of them. Christ considers our suffering as his own. He is afflicted in all our afflictions and pained with all our pains. In this sense, he took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. <laughs>